The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Church of Roy, a sports drink original podcast. Morning today's show may include adult language. And here are your hosts, Ryan Wilcox and Steve Ewald. Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Church of Roy podcast. We are back after a week off, which we apologize. It was not necessarily planned that way. Um, I'm your host as always, Steve Dewald. I uh, had a very interesting flight to New Orleans last week. I ended up spending... You know, I kind of started feeling like Tom Hanks a little bit in, in uh, the show where he lived in an airport terminal for, for an extended amount of time. I was in the airport for, I think, 26 hours before I got out. Um, so shout out to American Airlines, making sure that I support local business inside airports in various cities. Um, so I just never really kind of got my sea legs after that. Um, Brian Wilcox with us again this week. Um how you feeling, Brian? You had a little run in with a, can we talk about it or, or you, or do you want to just keep that to yourself? Now it yeah, sounds weird. COVID. Now it sounds I, like you got like herpes <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I just had COVID. I was, I was down for the count for a couple of days myself. So uh, yeah, it just wasn't a good week for the church of Roy gang. That's for sure. Or no. At least a good Tuesday. huh? Yeah. We're going to make up for it today though. We're going to, we're going to go through everything as promised. We're going to go through, our big board for the wings. Then me and Brian are going to put on our, our Joe Cronin hats. We're going to act like we're in the draft room. Um, assume picks are going to kind of fall how the mocks are showing and talk about who we'd take at each spot. Um, we're really not going to go too in depth on the number 58 pick, but definitely we're going to touch on the number seven, the number 36 pick, assuming that the Blazers will pick at those spots. And then we want to talk a little bit about some rumors, some stuff we're hearing. Um, most of it pertains to the Blazers. Some of it's kind of Blazers adjacent. Um, but yeah, we got a full show. And then also, just so you guys know, we will be back Thursday night after the draft. Uh, I'm not sure how fast that podcast will drop, but it will be there for you Friday morning. Um, we both anticipate that there's going to be some moves 
made by the Blazers, whether that's just them keeping the picks or, or really trying to swing for the fences and build a team that's ready to compete around Damian Lillard. So, Brian, before we get started, anything that I missed there that you want to cover, uh, <laughs> putting you on the spot here, getting into our rhythm again. I know. It's almost like it's just, it's just nice to hear your voice, Steve. You know, yeah. going a full week without hearing it. Mm-hmm. We're at almost two now. I'm just glad we're back, and this is going to be an action-packed pod since we're, yep. as of this recording, two days from the draft. So let's go. Let's do it. Moment we've been waiting for. So let's talk about it. Let's jump right in. Let's get our big board out of the way. This will cover all the positions that I think are kind of relevant for the Blazers. So if you guys remember our list, our loyal listeners, we talked about centers. We talked about forwards. Now we're going to talk about kind of those backcourt perimeter type players. I'm going to be honest. There's not a lot of true point guards. I don't think there is a true point guard on this list. There's really not a lot of true point guards in this draft, period. Mm -hmm. So let's start here. We're going to assume Jaden Ivey is off the board by the time the Blazers pick at number seven. Um, Jaden Ivey, I think, is the clear-cut best guard in this draft. I think he has a chance to emerge as one of the top three players in this draft. I think he's got Mm – a tremendous amount of athleticism. A lot of people, you'll hear the buzzword around Jaden Ivey is functional athleticism. So it's all stuff that should translate to the court. Um, I definitely see it. He had some ugly tape at the end of the year, but I think he's someone we've talked about, about a few other players is going to really benefit from NBA spacing. He played in a very slow, methodical system at Purdue. He's going to have open lanes. He's going to get a chance to run. He's not going to be playing with a bunch of, you know, he played with a true seven footer and, you know, a 6'10, like 90 style power forward. Like he's going to have a lot more spacing available to him at the next level. So, assuming Jaden Ivey's off the board, the next guy I want to talk about that I think will be on the Blazers, well, it should be there when the Blazers pick or should be right around there. Number one on my list of players of this type is the Australian Dyson Daniels, um, played at the G League last year, part of that development program. He's got great size, great defensive instincts, has a lot of offense that we probably haven't seen yet, but is, you know, can run and run an NBA pro style offense as the lead facilitator. Um, struggled a little bit shooting last year, but really came on at the end of the year. Um, great size, someone who has put on weight in the offseason, uh, is still growing by the looks of it. So I think he's someone who eventually is going to be able to guard one through four at the NBA level once he matures a little bit. Um, a lot of versatility, played in a pro-style system, showed a lot of maturity, took kind of a backseat to a couple other players on that G League Ignite team. I love him. Favorite player I reviewed, period, this year. So, you know, I'm crazy about him. Brian, thoughts on Dyson Daniels, number one on my list. You like it? I started digging into him a little bit more, actually, when you were texting me like, hey, if there's anybody – you know, early in the kind of after the college season's over scouting routine, you you go through annually and you're like, this guy's jumping off the tape. And then mm-hmm. he was a guy that was just kind of starting to get some buzz. And so I looked at him a lot and I like his game, man. Um, his shooting definitely concerns me. Um, he doesn't get to the line a ton from what I can see, but mm-hmm. he's got a lot of those kind of Lonzo Ball-esque qualities. I don't think he's on the same level as Lonzo Ball, but he keeps the rock moving. He's got good size for his position and he can defend. So I like his game um, as far as blazer centric, you know, looking at it from that lens, I don't know what kind of fit he would be next to Ant and Dame. I can kind of see, you know, on the glass half full side, 
another ball handler with size where you're finally not giving up a, you know, inches in the backcourt. But on the other hand, you know, he might be a guy with the old Evan Turner corollary <laughs> that we talk about where he might be the best with the ball in his hands. Do you really want, you know, to draft a guy to take the ball out of those our current starting backcourt's hands? So I really like him as a prospect, though, and and uh, I think defensively he surprised me more than anything. Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy you mentioned Lonzo uh, Lamelo Ball or Lonzo Ball, um, both of those players. I think as far as I was going, I was going Lonzo with that. Okay, Lonzo. so so I want to I want to pivot a little bit to Lamelo. Same idea. I mean, Lonzo does it too, but very tall point guard style player can see over defenses. All is passing, you know, two steps ahead of the defense, which is you know, rare for a player of that age. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, shooting is a little suspect, but you know, I like his size. I like his versatility. I like that. He brings it every defensive possession um, six foot, seven and a half. I think he's still growing. He's filling out his frame. Like you said, someone who I could, I could see playing a little bit of minutes as a rookie. So um, definitely something to not shy away from. Now, as far as NBA readiness goes, number two on my list is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum or just a- I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Part of the spectrum we just don't know about yet, and that's Shadon Sharp. He was a Kentucky commit, did not play basketball, organized basketball last year, um, sat out. He's someone who really came on strong in the prep circuit. He went from a three-star recruit to, you know, knocking on the door of number one in his recruiting class. It depends on what list you look at. He did that in about a matter of two months. So, I mean, just skyrocketed up Mm -hmm. the boards and then we really haven't seen him again. Now, uh, it sounds like he's been playing really well in these individual workouts as athleticism is there, but you're talking about someone who has been out of live game action in front of a crowd for an extended amount of time. So that is worrisome to me, but there's a lot of people who are way smarter than me that get paid a lot more money than me by NBA organizations that are crazy about this guy. I think he's the biggest risk reward pick in this draft. Maybe I think Chet might be up there too, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot to like here. 
as far as what we're hearing about his measurables, his athleticism. But again, there's just not a lot of tape out there. Brian, your thoughts on Shadon Sharp. He's someone who I don't know if he's going to be available for the Blazers at seven, but he's still worth talking about. Yeah, he's an absolute mystery man to me. I mean, you can go on YouTube and find some grimy videos and try to try to catch catch some old, old footage. But you're right when you, when you say the guy hasn't played in forever. And for me, the weirdest thing is it's not like he's been kind of a top dog of his class for, for years on end. It is that kind of meteoric rise that you alluded to that happened really quickly. And then he was just kind of there, right? And it's not like he has a body of work on which you can kind of count on. So it's all potential with this guy. I think if you're a team with a lot of picks, you know, might be or, – or a team that's not in the same kind of rebuilding stage that Portland is, that he might be worth kicking the tires on. But mm-hmm. I just don't even know what to make of him, man. <laughs> I haven't seen him play. I don't know. I think there's there's a couple of things that you hope he is. You hope he's just a player that made that rise and, and then just by a, a matter of – matter of circumstance he didn't really play much this last year and it wasn't necessarily by design that way what you really don't want is like the the jerry seinfeld situation where it's the where he won a race in like middle school and may or may not have started early and beat someone off the line and then refused to ever run again like you're hoping it's not that situation to make a very outdated seinfeld reference here but um i uh I hope it's not that. I don't think it's that. I've heard. I think Mike Richmond talked about it on his show. He had he had a guest that basically com- some people are calling Shade on Sharp, uh, Anthony Edwards with a with a three point shot, which that would be yikes, unbelievable. I mean, you're talking about Anthony Edwards, you know, uh, number one pick. So we'll we'll see if if he lives up to that. But I think he is a big swing here. Yeah, one of the curious things with him is he was kind of just kept on the shelf, which I understand from his rep- representation doing that. Cause you look at a guy like Jaden Hardy, who I think before the season started, he was a top five guy. And then he went out and didn't look great. And so I think they're protecting the stock. I, I get the whole thing, but um, I mean, to me, Blazers, it's really interesting. The Blazers have great Greg Brown jr. Or Greg Brown, the <laughs> yeah. third. I mean, it's, we've seen this before. Yeah. So no, totally not. I, I get the whole deal, but to me, it's kind of interesting now that, you know, then he went up against some other prospects, right? In a group draft or a group workout with mm. with Portland recently. And so I don't know if maybe he was starting to slip a little bit. And now he's trying to kind of show that, you know, put him against a little competition to really solidify that top, you know, eight, maybe six spot, whatever that's looking like. But I thought that, it, you know, for all the work they did to kind of keep him protected, now they're throwing him out there. Group workouts was a really interesting kind of curveball I didn't really see coming. Yeah. So, Number three on our list, we got number number one, again, Dyson Daniels for me, Shade on Sharp. I think a lot of people have those flipped on a lot of their boards, but that's just me after I've watched the tape. Um, Benedict Matherin, Arizona, sophomore, uh, big-time feature player for a great Arizona team, uh, stepped into a much bigger role. His efficiency numbers didn't suffer as much as you might think when he stepped into that, you know, out of a catch-and-shoot role into, you know, a primary offensive option um six foot six again out of arizona 20 years old a lot to like as far as experience we've seen a lot of him um you know good shooter i think his three-point efficiency will rise similar to what he was as a freshman just because i don't think he's going to be asked to do the type of things that he was doing at arizona um from what i've heard he is 
dynamite in team interviews. He has the exact mentality that teams are looking for. He is a, he is an alpha and he is ready to come in and work real hard at the NBA level, which I think a lot of players are. So it's hard for me to buy into like that specifically, but it does sound like teams have been pretty wowed by what he's been saying and doing in these, in these uh, one-on-one meetings. Um, again, I am a little concerned about what exactly his role is going to be. I don't think it's going to be as quite as heavy. And I also worry about some of his numbers in the half court. I mean, he was someone who really feasted in fast breaks as Brian's me and Brian have talked about outside of the show. Um, and he really just, as far as like a, a shot creator himself, doesn't generate a lot of separation and that problem is only going to get worse at the next level. And also too, if the Blazers are hoping you can play him at small forward, he's going to be going against players who are consistently probably bigger than him. And if you already have separation issues, like that's going to be a little, that's going to be an even bigger problem at the next level. So Benedict Mathurin, a player you got to see up close to the PAC 12 tournament, Brian, what do you make of him? Like him? Would you like to see the Blazers jump on him at, at, at number seven? wouldn't hate the pick. Um, when I watched him in person, I mentioned it at the time, he didn't really jump off the court to me. You hate to just throw one game at a guy and make that his rep, right? But mm. um, kind of to your point, the separation wasn't totally there. He, he had uh, an off game, I'll say. But he does have bigger – or he has better size than I thought he did. Like, his measurables definitely look better, after, you know, than, mm. than I thought they would after watching him in person. I think he's got a pretty high floor. Like, he seems like yeah. – a sharp enough guy that um, he'll figure it out one way or another. I don't think he's ever going to be an all-star, frankly. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I think you, you go for a little bigger swing than that. But one thing that does jump out to me is he went from, you know, 10 points a game and a couple of rebounds this freshman year and really made a big leap his sophomore year. He's really carrying his squad deep into the tournament. And so um, I think he probably has a lot of the, you know, mental makeup you'd like in a prospect. So there's some, there's some highs there, but the, some of the athletic stuff and the separation concerns me a little bit with him. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about like, you know, floors of the three players we've talked about, I think just because of his shooting and what he, we've seen him in a catch and shoot role. We've seen him as a primary option. I think Matherin slightly edges out Dyson Daniels for me, as far as a floor goes, mm-hmm. just, I think Daniels floor is based on his defense. Um, but Matherin, not a bad defender, but not nearly at the level of, as Dyson Daniels or another prospect we're about to talk about, but his shooting, you can, you can see him in an NBA offense and you, I mean, mm-hmm. it might not be a primary role, which again, that comes back to your point of this is probably a little bit safer pick, not necessarily a huge swing, but someone who I think could play minutes as a rookie um, and, and contribute on offense and maintain floor spacing at the very worst, maybe do a little bit more, but pretty comfortable with his spot on the list for me at number three. Let's go to number four before we start kind of looking at some of the second round options and some of the flyer picks. Um, Number four on my list, a player, you know, I absolutely love watching him play in college. Uh, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, sophomore, Uh, not the greatest efficiency numbers, but he never backed down from a challenge played in multiple roles. He kind of was asked to do some stuff that he's probably not best suited for as far as leading an offense. But if there was a big moment for Wisconsin this year, he was directly involved in it. Um, Excellent defender as well. One-on-one perimeter defender, one of the best in this class. Um, I think that will allow him to play early in his career, but 
There's just a lot of efficiency questions, which that might get mitigated a little bit. Again, kind of like Jaden Ivey, getting into a more modern offense at the NBA level, and then also just not being asked to do as much as, as a pro as opposed to being the man on campus in college. Your thoughts on Wisconsin guard Johnny Davis? He's the rich man, C.J. Ellaby. You see those rebound numbers, Steve? They're fantastic. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy, <laughs> I see sir. The I see the headshakes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I think he could be a guy that where when all said done, you kind of wonder, like, why he didn't go a few spots higher just because he's another – I think his floor is extremely high, too. He'll be able to defend at the next level at least fairly well. Um, I like guys who rebound. I think, as we've always said, that's a skill that translates from mm-hmm. college to the – NBA, even if you're, you know, a shooting guard and your role's a little different, I still think that's a valuable skill. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of his efficiency issues are due to just carrying such a heavy load. I think you shift some of that responsibility off and allow him to pick his spots a little better. Uh, he'll, he'll look a lot. I think he could look better at the next level than he, than he did in college. Yeah, I think any of these Big Ten guys at the next level are are going to probably benefit on the offensive end, <laughs> unless you unless more space there, <laughs> unless you're a center, like you know, you know, some mm-hmm. of these guys might have a rude awakening. Um, but again, a lot to like about Johnny Davis. Um, those are kind of the first round targets that I think will be in the Blazers vicinity. Now, of course, if the Blazers do trade down, which we'll talk a little bit about later, um, there is kind of this second tier right around there um, where, I don't know, you're really talking about high floor players at that point. But let's not get too far down in the weeds there. Let's look at some second round players that I like that I don't necessarily know if they're going to be there at 36, but they could be within striking distance. Um, Obviously, I'm going to lead off with a guy I've talked about on this podcast, plays with reckless abandonment, um, is a very high-energy player, is Blake Wesley from Notre Dame. Um, Reminds me a little bit about of Pat Connaughton. I mean, yes, they're both Notre Dame guys, but as far as the roles they played in that system, I mean, depending on when – you know, the commercial break ended and the game started, Blake Wesley was playing in a different role. He could play power forward, small forward, shooting guard, point guard, um, did a little bit of everything. Now he's a little out of control at times and there's going to, he's probably going to take some time to be ready at the NBA level, but he checks all the boxes athletically and and he's shown he can do a little bit of everything. He has good instincts on the floor. He's just got to kind of refine his game. Um, I'm getting deep, a little deep into my bag, so I don't mean to put you out, Brian. But no, I was, yeah. I was just gonna say he's he's in that zone where I really haven't been checking. Like I've been really focusing the cluster around that seven pick and the cluster yeah. around that thirty-six. I see him going somewhere in the late first. So I really haven't dug into the guy. Okay. Don't know much about him. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair Sounds enough. like a great kid. All right, so then we're gonna talk about two Duke players for me that I think will be around at thirty-six. Um, Wendell Moore uh, was, you know, fourth, fifth option at Duke this last year. Um, I think he's got more to show at the NBA level. Very similar to, for me, of what Gary Trent was at mm-hmm. his time in Duke. Probably going to go in the same range. Athletically, he, he's a pro-ready player. Um, again, we just, we don't really know what's there because we didn't, I don't think we have to fully see him unleashed at Duke. Now, I don't think we're going to see him unleashed at the NBA level unless something goes terribly wrong on a tanking team. But um, I think he has a nice skill set, was a very sought after high recruit, 
Um, I think he has all the tools you need to make it at the next level. And then the second Duke player who almost is a little more interesting to me is Trevor Keels, more of a defensive oriented perimeter player. Uh, some efficiency numbers on offense were not necessarily sterling last year, but I think he just has the mentality of being a perimeter stopper, play, maximizing his effectiveness in his role. Like, so when I talk about Wendell Moore, we didn't get to see his whole complement of his skills. I think, and I think that kind of hurt his stock. Whereas like Trevor Keels having to like absolutely buy in that my role on this team is to be a defensive stopper. And that's where I'm going to get my minutes. And then if anything else comes, I'll take it. I think it boosted his stock by almost being pigeonholed a little bit on that Duke team. So someone I like, someone who's very intense on the defensive end. Any thoughts on the Duke guys? I'm taking one. I'm taking Wendell Moore. I, I just, his tournament run, he always popped out to me on the floor for just in the right place, the right time and making the right play. So hyper efficient that third year too. I will say he's, he's got a couple of years on Keels, but I, I just think he's the type of guy that goes every year late. And you go, well, that guy's going to be a good pro. And, and guess what? He is. And so mm-hmm. I think wherever he lands, he'll just be solid. I like Wendell Moore a lot, especially yeah. if you're looking at him in the early second, we'll say. Yeah. And then finally, for my second round pick, someone who I think the way he's coming and rising up boards, I don't think he's going to be there at 58. I think it might be a little too early at 36. Who knows? It is Caleb Houston from Michigan. Uh a player who absolutely fits the role of a college three and D player, uh, efficient and catch and shoot opportunities. Uh, not a dynamite athlete. Like you're not going to see him get downhill mm-hmm. on offense and create a lot of separation, but he can hit a catch and shoot shot defensively. He's the ultimate team defender. He is always in the right spot. It feel, feels like um, very much engaged on the defensive end. Someone I could see, you know, in the right situation, in the right scheme, those players always have value might take a little while for him to be NBA ready, but someone I'm very interested to see where he goes in the second round. Someone again, who has been rising up these draft boards. Um, he'll be around for at least, you know, one of the Blazers second round picks, I would assume. So anybody well, correct, you want to go ahead. Well, correct me if I'm wrong on, I mean, wasn't Houston, wasn't he a, like a five-star recruit, yeah. right? And then he kind of underwhelmed. Yes. really in his, one, in his one season in Michigan he shot under 40 percent looked a little maybe out of his depth but now is he kind of starting to make that comeback up the draft well, boards because to me I was maybe maybe my expectations for him were just a little different from where yeah you know, yeah I mean so he was a number eight overall prospect in 2021 for ESPN mm-hmm. so like you know very sought after recruit um underwhelmed a little bit last year but i think it's mainly just tied to some of his you know his athleticism and some of his efficiency numbers were not great outside of those catch and shoot opportunities i think once he kind of abandoned some of the other things on offense and really just focused on what his role could be and you know at that point it kind of became a realization it was not going to be that star player role i think Mm -hmm. i think that's when things started to turn around for him um again his efficiency numbers not great this last year, but you know, six foot eight, played at, at Montverde in his prep school career. You mm-hmm. know, absolute powerhouse. A lot of great players come through that program, so he is used to a top level of competition. Again, we're talking about a second round pick here, um, which yeah. I think we should be very clear about. But sure, um, yep. 
someone who I think has the tool set to, or the skill set toolkit, just mix them up, mix and match, baby. But anyway, has it has all the things you need to be a functional NBA player. One of those players, like you mentioned, that when he gets drafted and you see him play a little bit, you're like, oh, this guy's probably going to be in the league for five to 10 years. But who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe his, his efficiency never comes around in a, in a smaller role, but I think it's worth the risk where he's projected to go right now. And I, I think there is a healthy amount of buzz around him going into uh, the draft on Thursday. Um, so I think that's anybody you want to talk about, anybody I left off that you want to talk about guards, wings, um, before we kind of put our Joe Cronin hats on here and, and work through the draft. Sure. There's a bigger three, four. I really like Justin Lewis out of Marquette in the, in the uh, small sample sizes I've seen in the guy. I mean, he's very, I mean, he's huge. I think he measured six, seven and a half with a seven, two and a half wingspan. Um, the guy put up 17 points a game on 44% shooting, shot five threes, not particularly well, but it was 35%, 76% from the line. So if you squint, you can maybe see a guy who could, who could maybe take the next level as a shooter. So um, he's, you know, at least average on that end. For me, it's all about the guy's build, his height, and just his defensive mentality. And so for a league that's going more and more, it's a large switchbowl defenders. I think he just fits into that mold. And uh, But I'll, obviously, once again, another reason he's – I've seen him as early as the late first, but it seems like more often he's projected as, as a second-round pick. He's got some warts, but I think he's got a lot of upside too. Right. Yep. I, I again, uh, as someone who is an absolute competitor at that Marquette program, um, I typically, I mean, it's hard not to like a, a Marquette wing, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I think they, yeah. they have a tendency to hit at the next level. So, um, you know, always will have a soft spot for me. Um, yeah. Lewis is someone definitely to watch. He'll, he will be available for one, if not both of the Blazers picks. Um, so, it's draft night. Blazers are on the clock. Let's assume they're keeping the pick at number seven, using it for themselves. No remember who? Uh, remember? Oh, who, who said that was the most likely scenario? Out of the you, you did. You gave me a couple and weeks I, ago. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm still I'm saying little, I would I'm be absolutely. I would be absolutely shocked if they take use that pick themselves. So I'm sticking by my my rankings, but um, good. So this this is uh, the Brian Wilcox sticking to his guns, and I will do it for this exercise. Um, number seven, Blazers are on the clock. What we kind of know about the mocks and how they look, and again, you know, mocks are an imperfect science. There's someone who's going to surprise us here. I mean, when you're picking behind the Kings, you never know who's going <laughs> to fall before for you. So, Brian, Blazers are on the clock. Who are you taking at number seven? I'm going to preface this by saying I really don't think he will likely be available. But for me, and this isn't going to be exactly a, a fucking wild choice here, but the Keegan Murray slides at all, man, you just pick him and you go. I know he, you're not the biggest Keegan Murray fan. To me, I think he can put up points from the floor and defend at a respectful level really early. And so I like him there. But, again, I bet he's gone. I don't think he slides by the Pacers would be my guess at six. All right, I'm gonna give you another chance because Keegan Murray is not gonna be there at seven. I would be. You don't think so? You you don't think there's any chance he's not he's not there? I I really don't see him getting past 
one, I don't know what the Kings are going to do. I would not put it past the Kings to pass on Ivy and take Keegan Murray. Natural. Uh, what about the Sharp? Daniels is gaining momentum. Mathern's gaining momentum. And he also fits with the Pacers too. And so I, I don't know. I just don't see, I don't see Keegan Murray getting there. I mean, I'll let, I'll let you stick with it. I mean, maybe it happens. But I would be I would be shocked if Keegan Murray makes it to seven. Most mocks I see is at six. That's one spot, Steve. Yeah, just yeah. one spot, man. Yeah. You want me to one, pick, one me spot? Pick? Okay. One spot too far, my friend. No, go ahead. No, I'll <laughs> I'll let you say. I'll let you, you keep it. Um, We're gonna for pick me, a couple anyway. Take it easy. You know, you know how I feel about Keegan Murray. I I don't think he'd be at the board now. If he was available at seven, I'd be happy with that pick. I think that's a good value at number seven. Um, I think he is a player that can come in and contribute. I think he's not going to be quite the three level scorer at the next level that, uh, yeah. that he was in college, but I think he's going to be an incredibly useful NBA player. Um, but I think there's going to be a little bit of learning curve with the jump and competition. Um, for me, no surprise after you heard me talk about him earlier, but if the Blazers keep the pick at number seven, I love the idea of Dyson Daniels joining this team. I think he, just from what he does defensively and he's a willing passer. He plays a a mistake free brand of basketball that typically, you know, translates into minutes for players earlier in their career. I could see him coming to Portland and making a positive impact very early in his career. Now I will say number two for me right here that I would give a lot of thought to is Jalen Duran. I think he fits positionally what you want to do, add some size. I think he is still so young that we don't exactly know what he's going to be at the next level. I think there's still room for him to add some polish to his game, but just a dynamite athlete. He has stuff that you can't teach. And I think the Blazers have operated at a deficit with players with those types of skill sets that I, they could address very quickly by taking a player like Jalen Duran at number seven. Well, I like it. Someone's got a backup nerd. And guess yep. what? He's above he's above uh, six, seven and a half, which is what Dyson Daniels is. So that's good. I'm gonna get I'm gonna hit you with my number two. Okay, go ahead. And you're probably expecting well after after Keegan Murray, you're probably saying I'm gonna say Chet Holmgren or something. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you go uh, uh, Smith. Yeah. I think he, he's yeah. good here. He's he's yeah. falling. Yeah. No. <laughs> He's out of Baylor. His name is Jeremy Sohan. And I'm going to tell you why. I, I think that I'm typically a best player available guy all the time. But I think that this Portland rebuild is so unique and that we are so guard heavy. You almost have to go big here. Um, maybe that means trading back a couple picks to grab him for the purposes of this exercise. I'm saying maybe take him a little earlier than he's been mocked. I don't think it's a huge reach. You're probably talking three, max five picks than most mocks are. But I like what he brings defensively. This is a team that is starving for versatile long defenders and somebody you can handle the rock a little bit on the wing and in the front court. So I'm taking mm-hmm. Sohan. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to hear any complaints about out of me for Sohan, a player I absolutely love in this draft. As far as like, not necessarily for value, but players that I just really enjoyed writing mm-hmm. their scouting reports and watching them play basketball again. Um, Dyson Daniels, I think number one for me. As far as tape goes, I think Sohan and Johnny Davis are right there for, you know, 2A, 2B for me. So no complaints. I love Jeremy Sohan's game. Again, I'm not really sure what he does on offense. We talked about this on the last pod. But, Stand around. But, but I think that defensively, 
I, I like a lot of what he can do. Um, so let's turn our attention to the 36th pick. Now there's a lot of variability here. There, you never know. This is, you know, there could be a shakeup at number seven. Now, you know, when you're talking to get to 36, there's going to be someone surprising that's going to be there. Now, my general rule of thumb, especially with the NFL draft, is if someone is like just cratering down draft boards and dropping and dropping and dropping, it's usually probably a good reason for it. As long as it's not like some, <laughs> as long as it's not like Jeremy Tunzel or something where there's like a him smoking a gas mask bong before the draft. But like for the most part, I'm going to trust the GMs that are saying, you know, we saw something here, we're going to pass. So you're yeah, going to see don't, somebody. Don't, don't try to over, you know, outthink everybody else in the room. Like, you're the guy picking them. You might be the dipshit if everyone else yeah. is passing on. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. No, granted, there there are exceptions to this rule. I mean, like for me, Dewan Blair. Well, Randy Moss in the NFL, but like NBA wise, like Dewan Blair. Dewan Blair is an example I come back to where everybody was passing on him. You know, they were really concerned about his knees, but the Spurs ended up getting a player late later in that draft that played a lot of minutes for them and played a serviceable role for a very good team. So like. There are exceptions, but for the most part, if a player is really dropping, I, I tend to go, okay, I'm not – like you said, I'm not going to try to outsmart everybody. Um, so for number 36, I'll go first here. Um, another player I've talked about, and I'm going to go back-to-back wings here, but I really, really like Wendell Moore. Um, mm-hmm. I think yeah. if you're talking about – like I, I mentioned him already in the comparison, not only because of their school, but just because – they weren't the primary option, but had primary option like skills, especially for a college player. Um, I think Wendell Moore comes in. I think he's a guy who's going to stick around in this league for a while. I think he's got a nice foundation as an NBA player. Um, he would be who I would absolutely target at number 36. Brian, your your first choice at 36. I'm just going to – he was mine too, man. Um, mm-hmm. I think that if he pops early, he kind of gives you maybe a little Josh Hart insurance. If you're looking to move off him or, or do something with him, especially next year and his last, well, assuming Portland picks it up, his last contract here with the team. So I really like the guy and I think he'd be a nice fit for Portland. Mm-hmm. And then I guess it, it, it was, you know, I'm going to do the same thing I did in the first round. My, my other pick here, uh, again, looking at the center position is Christian Coloco. Damn it. Uh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, you get into the second round, you start targeting players that have certain skills. And I think that's probably why we lined up on these picks. But um, as I mentioned, when we're talking about centers. I think Christian Coloco has the most opportunity to play either as a drop big or a switchable defender on the perimeter. I think that level of flexibility from a true center uh, is hard to find. And, and you know, it's going to take a lot of development. It's going to take some luck to get to that next level. Um mm-hmm but I'm willing to take a chance, especially for a number, you know, you're talking about the 36 pick, absolutely take a swing there. Um, you know, I, I, I like his fit potentially. I mean, it, again, it's going to take a while developmentally for him to get there. Yeah. He was my second one too. We're, we're pretty aligned on number three, six, it appears uh, just to switch it up. If there was a guy that was going to fall a little bit, I think I would be kicking the tires on Kendall Brown from Baylor. Um, he's got a little, you know, I think he's probably a four at the next level just because of his lack of ball handling and, and, and passing skills. But the guy's just so athletic, flies around, rebounds fairly well for his position, still very young. And as you can tell, I, I kind of have a theme going where I just want to stock up on 
on big athletic swingmen slash fours because I think if, you know you get one of those guys to pop, it can really be what Portland's missing for quite some time. And then I guess I, I one more if I if I don't want to copy the you know wing center again for the mm-hmm. center another player to watch to see if he draws. Which I don't know. I think he's going to be moving the opposite direction on draft night. Is Dallin Terry from Arizona? Um, oh yeah, combo guard. A lot of athleticism, a lot of size. He's six foot seven, seven foot wingspan. Um, a player who worked out for the Blazers has a, a tremendous amount of athleticism. Um, another player who, you know, backed up some very talented people at Arizona could benefit at the next level. Had probably has a little bit more in his game to show. Um, still under twenty years old. He'd be twenty years old when he steps on the NBA floor for the first time, but. You know, a player I really like in this draft. We'll see where he ends up. I think if he's on the board at 36, I think he's going to garner a lot of, you know, consideration from the Blazers. Scary Terry was a guy that stuck out to me at the Pac-12 tournament. So I'll I'll say that right now. I like him a lot. You know, somebody we haven't talked about who's kind of right on that first to second round cusp, again, depending on which mock draft you look at, is Patrick Baldwin Jr. from Milwaukee, who is very highly touted. Mm-hmm. What's the deal with that guy? <laughs> I, I didn't watch him at all. Like what? I mean, I, I wasn't really watching a lot of highly talented. Oh, we got Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Milwaukee or wherever. So yeah, yeah. Patrick Baldwin is a very odd story. I think he's a cautionary tale for, for college, for prep players. Um, basically could have went and played for this Duke team last year. Instead mm-hmm. went to uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, followed his dad was the coach there um everything just kind of went off the rails he had a little bit of injury problems low low efficiency um the team was terrible did not get a lot of exposure and and you're talking about a player who you know was around you know that one to two player in his class eventually i think espn he was around like four to six somewhere four to seven in there somewhere but you know very sought after recruit now we're talking about a player who's a fringe first round pick. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of size, six foot ten, seven foot wingspan, seven foot one wingspan. Just a very skilled player at that size, and you saw why everybody wanted to go and get him. But I don't know, man. It was not. Yeah, last year was so <laughs> ugly that I I don't know. You're really banking on previous production and not anything you saw last year from them. Sure, and, I, and I'm I'm truly asking because I didn't watch yeah. a minute of him play. But is this the guy who could potentially be a buy low candidate at like 36 oh. if he were to slide that slide that far? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, or did he or did he not even show a flash of what you're looking for? I, I mean, as, it, as an he, his his prep tape still exists. Last year was just <laughs> it was just no, it was not pretty. So kind of I, the reverse uh, shade on sharp effect yeah, here where he, exactly. he played, it went really bad. And that was know, way down there. Patrick Baldwin Jr. Probably should have stopped playing basketball after his prep career. So <laughs> be top five, you know, all of a sudden the shade on sharp stuff, making more sense when you look at Patrick Baldwin Jr.'s production from last year. Um, there you go. So there you go. Um, anybody you want to throw out for 58? Like I said, I don't want to get too serious about 58 because you never know. Like this is, you know, where the Blazers could take a CJ Ellaby type of player who was like number 90 in draft. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, no one I'd like to take. Um, I'm just glad that Neil's not making the selection this year. That's all I got on that one. Um, just on hair alone, someone I've talked about a little bit, um, 
Number 58, J.D. Davison. I, I just I, – I would love to see that in Portland. So that that's my only tongue-in-cheek hope for the number 58 pick for the Blazers. So now that we've worked through those, I want to talk about what, we, what I at least actually think is going to happen on draft night, where I think the Blazers are going to move this pick. Now, we've heard some rumors in the last week, and I'm sure by the time this podcast posts, these will be stale – but this is what we're hearing going in. So again, we're hearing that the Atlanta Hawks are very active. Um, I believe Brian Windhorst hinted at that the Hawks are looking at five to six potential deals. Everybody's on the table except for Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter. So that means John Collins is available. Player that we've heard the Blazers at least have rumored interest in or potential for a rumored deal. We're hearing that that pick could not only involve John Collins, which I think me and Brian are in the rare boat where I would be happy with just a straight up number seven for John Collins trade. I think you're getting a player who's still young who fits yep. Damian Lillard's timeline is going to be highly productive. Um, but we're also hearing that it could be number seven and number 16. Now, as Brian talked about before the show, it could involve the Blazers throwing the number 36 pick in, or maybe a future first, who knows, but Blazers move back to 16, get John Collins, uh, give up the number seven pick to the Atlanta Hawks and they kind of just get to continue to clear cap space and kind of rebuild on the fly around Trey young. Um, Brian, what do you make of the John Collins stuff? Is that something that's pretty high up on your list of outcomes you're hoping for as draft night approaches? Yeah, to me, I think that Collins plus 16 for seven is that ideal outcome that I've heard that's within or at least possibly within the realm of possible, or, you know, it's out there. And I think it could actually, happen. Um, I would, like you mentioned, I think I do that pick straight up, Steve. I mean, yep. the odds of the seventh pick being as good as John Collins, if you look back or, or not great, <laughs> not stellar. And then you're telling me you can get that kind of production right now when Dame's, you know, not 36 and <laughs> we don't have to wait three, four years for this guy to develop that we pick at seven. I think I'm pulling the trigger, and if you throw 16 in there, then I don't think I can slam the the you have a deal button quick enough if I'm yeah. Portland. Yeah, I agree, and I think when you're talking about this is a deal that feels like it makes sense. I think this is a trade where you have the right kind of buyer in the Blazers, and mm -hmm. you have the right kind of seller in the Hawks. Like I think that they're they're two pieces that just kind of fit together, where it's like. I don't necessarily know if the Knicks and the Blazers fit together as trade partners. Whereas like, I think the Blazers and Hawks fit together as trade partners uh, coming back to something we're about to talk about. I don't know if the Blazers and the Raptors fit together as trade partners. And we're hearing mm -hmm. now as it gets a little bit closer, I mean, we were always pretty skeptical about it on this show, but it really sounds like the OG stuff is a little bit overblown that Toronto this could just be a case of them playing their cards close to their chat, close to their vest and not really wanting to give out any information and drive a hard bargain. But it sounds like the OG mm -hmm. Ananobi stuff is kind of dying as we get closer to the draft. Um, and the Blazers, you know, might not have the package to get that deal done. Um, any thoughts on OG Ananobi? Do you think it, there's potential still that he's available? He gets moved on draft night or is it still, you know, are you in the camp that those type of players don't get moved for nothing? Um, I'm, I'm certainly in the latter. I, I just didn't think – I thought it was far-fetched to begin with. Um, 
you know, you never know what happens on draft nights, dude. Mm-hmm. But I would be absolutely shocked if he's moved for anybody, let alone a package that Portland could can provide or would provide. Yeah, I think there's a lot of other teams out there that if he really did become available, that would be much more interesting as far as balancing what the what the mm-hmm. Raptors are trying to do. And even from a level of compensation standpoint, what they would it be able to get in a trade like that? I just don't know sure. if the Blazers have the pieces. Um, getting back to a move that could potentially happen for the Blazers is uh, – Jake Fisher talked about it a little bit. We've heard about this before, but the Oklahoma City Thunder sound like they're really interested in moving up into the top 10 of this draft Um, right now. I mean, they're at the number two pick, but they'd like to move up from 12 and get into the top 10 and really kind of go after some of those wings we talked about early on in the show. You know, the Ben Matherins, the Dyson Daniels. Um, They really want to be potentially even shade on sharp. They really want to get in a position for one of those players. So the, the loose framework that we're hearing is the number 10 pick, Lou Dort. And, you know, now it sounds like as OKC is getting a little more desperate, um, potentially even more draft capital being thrown into that. Um, I'm really interested in that type of trade. Uh, one, because I think I'm a little higher on Lou Dort than a lot of people are. Um, yes, he's coming off shoulder surgery, but we just watched an NBA finals where – or, or in a team marching to the NBA finals in the golden state mm-hmm. warriors where Gary Payton, the second played a very crucial role in that team was a wing defender, played small, defended small forwards at a high level was highly energetic on the offensive end. If you look at what Lou Dort could be, or might even be better, a better option offensively. Um, they're the same type of player. They're both six, three Lou Dort's a little bit bigger frame wise, but they're guys who I think are going to contribute to very good teams. And I think Lou Dort is that now, is he a starter? Probably not, but is he someone who's going to be useful off the bench for a blazer team that's trying to be competitive? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very interested in picking up, you know, a player like Lou Dort, you get the number 10 pick, which I still think is a good spot for the blazers to pick in this draft, or, you know, might be easier to stomach a trade if you're sending out number 10 and number instead of number seven, and you've already picked up a veteran along the way. Um, any thoughts on the Thunder trade potential with Lou Dort? Yeah, so I think you said 10. They're actually picking at 12, right? Oh, 12, sorry. And so, sorry. yeah, so, you, so you're moving down five spots, not three. Um, I, in a vacuum, I love Lou Dort. Um, he's built like a brick shit house, and I love those kind of players who can defend the way he does. But you're kind of already in a situation where you have Josh Hart filling that kind of two, three swing role. I think if you get Lou Dort, you're doing the exact same. Maybe if you're moving Josh Hart another move, you trade back and Lou Dort's a little Josh Hart kind of filling. I don't necessarily hate that, but he's also in the last year of his deal, and then he's unrestricted. So it's not like you're getting a guy for an extended amount of time um, unless you re-sign him to a much or, or a larger deal. I'm pretty lukewarm on this one. I think I'd have to see what else, what other kind of machinations that Cronin was, was brewing along with that trade. Because if it was just Dort and – and 12 for seven, I think Blazer Nation would be a little disappointed in that trade. But I do think he's a winning player and could add some valuable depth to the backcourt. It's just – and, like, if that's it, I think we're a little bummed out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can get a, another first-round pick 
from the Thunder, even if it's, you know, from, you know, a Clippers team or, or a team that's a little bit more competitive, that that pick's not going to be as good down the road. The key is just having that asset because then the Jeremy Grant trade becomes a lot more palatable if you're moving yeah. out a deal like that. And you've also added a player who's played high level defense, even on a bad team in Lou Dort on the backcourt. And then you're adding Jeremy Grant, another good defender um, when he's engaged. So you're talking about addressing some serious needs. Yes. There's a little bit of positional redundancy, but like, again, you want those type of players in your rotation. Um, you want to be able to throw a different look at teams in the postseason, hoping the Blazers can get back to the postseason. I um, think I think if that's move two, you know, or yeah. or kind of like one B or C or whatever, I think you feel a little better about that. But it really just depends on what you do around that pick, to me. Yeah. Or if, or if you get to your point, a little additional compensation that, that give, opens up some flexibility down the line. And then I get we've already brought him up, but Jeremy Grant again. A little bit of a discussion on the low post this week. Uh, Jason Gavoni, uh, Zach Lowe talking. Jonathan, Jonathan Gavoni, whatever. I didn't, <laughs> but you know what you want to know about Jonathan Gavoni? doesn't push in his chair when I'm trying to get behind him in media row. So I'm going to mispronounce <laughs> his name and say whatever the hell I want. Um, I like it. Anyway, Mike Schmidt, nice guy. Happy he's with the Blazers. His old partner. There we I go. Could, I could do without. Um, anyway, they were talking the other day about uh or or i think yesterday we're talking about this whole idea that the blazers would part with the number seven pick for jeremy grant which has kind of terrified blazers fans for the last few months does not sound like a possibility does not doesn't even sound like that was even where the framework of that deal started like that is just you know someone maybe from the pistons really just wishful thinking that that was going to happen so i think that's allowed me to exhale a little bit um, hopefully yeah. that's true. Usually Zach Lowe's pretty dialed in on this type of stuff. Um, we don't know how strong the Lowe and Portland connection is. You know, I think Lowe had a very good relationship with Neil O'Shea, um, but we'll see. I, I would assume they're dialed in. I would assume Gavoni is very dialed in just because, you know, Mike Schmidt <laughs> is part of the organization now. Um, yeah. But I don't know. We, are, are you taking a sigh of relief that the Jeremy Grant for number seven seems like it's uh becoming a figment of Pistons imagination quicker and quicker <clears throat> by the day. Yeah, man, I didn't see, I saw the chance of that happening very low. It's nice to hear someone like Love say, yeah, that's kind of horseshit. So that's hopefully that's the last time we can talk about Grant and pick seven being involved with each other ever again. Yeah. And then finally, I, I think as far as Blazers, you know, adjacent or this is more adjacent news or, or rumors potentially for the Blazers, but we're really hearing, that the pick directly behind the Blazers, there's a lot of action going on there at number eight. There's two things Mm -hmm. there. We've heard that New Orleans will not let Ben Matherin get by them at number eight. And then we're also hearing that the Suns are looking to offload some salary to make sure that they can go out and get DeAndre Ayton the deal he wants, give him a max contract, which of course – they could just pay him that and they could go into luxury tax because they are one of the best teams in the league, but apparently ownership doesn't want to do that. Um, so we're hearing that the Suns are putting Cam Johnson into a trade, which would assume that, you know, a player of Cam Johnson's level, you know, we'll see if that's enough to get a deal done. You would assume if it gets a deal done for eight, it would be good enough to get a deal done at number seven, potentially. Um, yep. But anyway, I want to focus on the Ben Matherin part. I, I think part of me just awakens the old uh, Kevin Pritchard part of me. 
And if I was running the show on draft night, I would call up New Orleans. I have them on speed dial. You remember that? Hey, you know, we gave you guys CJ McCollum. Um, I'm not. Hey, remember me? Um, but uh, I would say this. I would say we are going to take Ben Matherin. I know how much you want him. Uh, what are you going to do to make sure we don't? Or what are we going to do to swap spots? Even if it's picking up, you know, a second round pick in a couple of years or the rights to somebody. I think I just like picking up the, the petty W on draft yeah. night. So, oh, yeah. um, and then also too, so that's the first part. Second part is would Cam Johnson be enough at number seven young player um, fits a need at small forward, potentially for the Blazers has played on a team that's made it to the NBA finals um, is about to get paid. Um, he's on the same contract timeline as Nasir Little. Um, is that enough to get a deal done? What do you think uh, of the potential for, you know, seven, eight moves that might be materializing? Let's see. So what would the Cam Johnson move be for seven? I'm, it'd probably just be, it probably might, it might just be number seven for Cam Johnson. If that's, I, I don't know if that's what they're oh, shopping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say no. I would almost rather just take, I think Grant's a better player now. And granted, I think that Johnson's next contract would be be quite a bit less than Grant's. I think I'd still rather take Grant straight up. So, and I think that trade's ludicrous for Grant. So I'm a hard pass on Cam Johnson. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, what about str- what about strong arming the New Orleans Pelicans? You, you a fan? Oh, I know, I yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Just even if it's like a couple second round picks, they're not, might, might not ever be conveyed. It's like, hey, give me them. And then also too, like take that petty win. I hope the Blazers try to strong arm any trade or or try to nix any trade that the Suns are trying to do for cap relief. If they can muddle that, because why would you? Let's not help the Suns out. Let's make sure that they there. You have to make a very hard decision about DeAndre Ayton because if they screw that up, the door opens for the Blazers to potentially go and get him. So very good point. I'm 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 a fan for. of just really trying to mess with either the Pelicans or the Suns. Let's have a little bit of fun on draft night. I mean, that's what flexibility is for. Um, I guess finally we'll talk a little bit about the Kings. Um, it sounds like they're going to do something very Kingsy on draft night. Um, you, the smart play would be to take the best player available. I think take Jaden Ivy, even though he doesn't necessarily fit your roster right now, you want to have that asset on your team. Um, for future trades or, mm-hmm. or maybe he becomes a star and you move on from De'Aaron Fox. Um, I th- think they might be looking at another option or certainly trying <laughs> to trade it, but it, it looks like from what we've heard today from a couple outlets is the Pacers have inquired about moving up to number four. And, and I guess the Kings just basically asked for the world. They asked for multiple first round picks um, and a player uh for the number four pick. And I, I think the Pacers hung up the phone pretty quick. Um, what, what are your odds? Like, I guess 50, 50, a hundred, a hundred being the Kings make the absolute right move on draft night or zero. They do something that really can is confusing on draft night, zero to 100. Where do you fall on this spectrum for the Kings for draft night? I'd say it's 60-40, they do something crazy versus they do something well, – let's just say go with the consensus. If I'm them, I'm taking Ivy, not even thinking about it. 
he's a guy who I actually put a little money on to go number one way <laughs> back in the day, just because, you know, the, the top three guys, none of them are that Jalen Brown, Tatum, uh, dynamic swingman, right? They're all fours and fives and, and as the best, well, who appears to be the best guard in the draft, you know, all it takes is one team to fall in love with the best guard in the draft. He's going number one. So yeah. I really like Ivy. You kind of mentioned him earlier, but I just wanted to get my hot take on him in. I'd give it a, I'd give it a, like a 40% chance they do the right thing, just draft <laughs> and figure it out later. Um, but they'll probably do something Kingsy. I mean, yeah. any team that gets off Halliburton like that, it's like, you got, you got to wonder what's going on there. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's 75 crazy 25 do the right thing. I think it's gonna, I think they're going to do something real odd here. Um, as far as the top three goes, you think it's going to be chalk? You think it's going to be Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, then Paolo, or do you think there's going to be a little bit of a shake up in there? Um, the Chet to Oklahoma city thing to me, feels like this makes a ton, ton of sense. Um, I really, to me, it comes down to Orlando if they, if they kind of do something a little different, but, all, all everything I've seen reported looks like Jabari. So I'll say, yeah, it's probably goes Jabari, Chet, Paolo, sorry. But then, then the Kings pick, so who, who the hell knows is going to happen. Yeah, I think, it, I think it is going to be a chalk top three from what we're seeing. Um, again, I think OKC, you never really know what they're going to do. Um, they, might, they might pivot in a different direction. But as far as there was some news today about the betting markets for Paolo, basically it's – went from, you know, plus 1600 to be number one pick to plus 400 overnight. I think that's Ooh. just where the money's coming in. I think just, I mean, my own experience, when I looked at that betting line, if I'm going to take a swing, it's going to be on, on the Apollo money. Cause I think it's, it's mm-hmm. feasible, but I, again, I don't think he's the favorite to, to be there. I mean, he's not even the betting favorite to be the number one. It's just his markets improved. I think that's just Vegas balancing out the money. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be one, two, three in that order. Um, finally, I really finally, we're going to put a cap on the draft talk. We will return <laughs> to this again. Like I said, we'll record Thursday night after the draft. Um, the Blazers lost an alumni today. Um, usually when we talk about this, it's someone who is in their old age, um, played on a team in the seventies. Unfortunately, that was not the case today. Um, Caleb Swanigan passed. Um, the, the news came out this morning, 25 years old, um, didn't have a very long career with the Blazers, but, you know, former first round pick, uh, incredibly sad story, like someone who overcame a lot to get into the league, to be a star at Purdue, one of the best players to ever come out of there, um, as far as a college player, um, you know, overcame, you know, being homeless as a child, um, overcame mm-hmm. weight issues, um, you know, really, really overcame a lot. And then eventually, you know, you know, those things catch up to people. I don't really know the full details, but all I know right. is it's incredibly sad. He was someone who I personally had a lot of joy watching early in his career, especially, I mean, it was my first summer league that I ever went to um, someone where you always knew where he was on the court. He was very um, vocal on defense, uh, very vocal when he returned to the bench, but also just had a clear heart of gold and his teammates loved him. Um, so a sad day, uh, Caleb Swanigan passing Brian, any, any Caleb Swanigan thoughts or memories or anything you want to share? Uh, just an absolute tragedy, man. I think by all accounts, he's a really sweet young man and just gone far too soon. Um, really incredible what he did accomplish in a short amount of time though, for the amount of obstacles he had in front of him. So, 
RIP, Caleb. Yeah. Um, I, I think just going forward in your, our own personal lives, you know, you never know what the person next to you is going through. So, you know, always, you know, try to approach situations with kindness and compassion. Um, everybody's fighting their own battles every day. Um, hug your loved ones. Take it, take a moment to realize there's some things out there that are a little bigger than basketball. Um, take care of your own mental health. Um, but yeah, sad day, sad day for sure. It's whenever you see, you know, 25 years old in the news, someone passing, it's, it's sad. So, um, anyway, hopefully there's going to be some better news on Thursday. Um, again, take care of yourself, get some rest. Don't let the rumors freak you out. Don't get your hopes too high. Um, we're about to get a lot more clarity on what direction this off season's going. Um, hopefully you guys have enjoyed some of our draft coverage here. We look forward to talking to you after the draft, Brian, anything before we get out of here? Uh, big thanks to you, man, for all the drafts analysis you do and the amount of video you watch. I don't know how you make the time with the, <laughs> with the kid and the wife and all your other interests, man. So really appreciate everything you do to contribute to the drafts analysis, not only on this pod, but on blazer's edge as well. All right. I appreciate it, man. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's my favorite time of the year. So anyway, we'll talk to you guys very soon. We're sorry for the week off. We'll make up for it this week with a double pod. We'll talk to you then everybody get some rest. We'll enjoy draft night. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcasts. And while you're at it, go follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy pod. We'll see you next week.